Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. So I spent the majority of my childhood in the Dakotas. I was born in Rapid City, South Dakota, and then lived in South Dakota, North Dakota, and Minnesota, smaller towns mostly. And uh, then in the middle of my seventh grade year, our family moved to the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Talk about a culture shock. <laughs> so started my seventh grade year in a town of 2000, Ellendale, North Dakota. In December, over Christmas break, we moved to Mount Prospect, Illinois, so Chicago suburbs. So from a town of 2000 to the Chicago land, nine million people. That was an adjustment. That was a big change. My, my student seventh grade class in Ellendale was about 30 students. You know, that was split between like two different classes. And, and now I'm in a, a middle school with 200 students in just my class. So it was, it was a big change. And, and probably the biggest change was the demographics. Starting in this rural setting, this, this farm town, and, and it was where Trinity Bible College was. That's why we were there. My dad was working with the university there. And, but then we moved, and now I've got students in my class from Mexico, Puerto Rico, India, Pakistan, Poland, all kinds of places. And if I'm honest, at first, it was a bit much. Like, it was really different to try to move from that kind of a setting into this other setting in the Chicagoland area. And, and it, was, it was, I don't know, it was just, it was different at first. Uh, but yet at the same time, over time, as you start to live in that setting, you interact with people of different cultures, and, and really they become friends, then all of a sudden you start to really value diversity in a, in a very different way. But it takes time. It's different at first. And, and so I was thinking about where I grew up and the experiences I had, but then where we moved to. And, and uh, we were just in Chicago with the kids on Friday. They had school off, and so we took them there. And, and we were walking, actually. We had gone to Giordano's. And, and where now I treasure walking a city street, hearing different languages, seeing different people. Like, it's a totally different experience. But can I also tell you, like, that's where we're headed? Like, Revelation 7, 9. New Jerusalem's a city, all nations, all tribes. So there is this measure of, we might sometimes prefer things one way, but we know where we're headed and what we're leading into. God has bigger things for us. And I think we always need to keep that in mind in the kingdom of God. And really, you think about the setting that we're in here in West Lafayette. We live in a city of different cultures. They're in our neighborhoods. They're, of course, at the university setting, and they're kind of everywhere among us. And so then the question is, what do you think about that? Have you taken time to consider that? Do you appreciate different nations and cultures, or, or is that still a little bit of a challenge for you, depending on what your upbringing has been? And this matters for us this morning because we're going to continue a series on Better Together with a message on Jesus and refugees. And, and what I simply want to do is, why is it important that we love all people as followers of Jesus? We kind of know we should, right? But there's also a why behind it. So I want to look at that today as, as we continue our series. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Uh, the reason we say that is because we want you daily in God's Word. I hope you've got God's Word. If you don't have a Bible at home, we've got one underneath the seat in front of you. You're welcome to use it today. You're welcome to take it home if you don't have one there. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. 
I'm pretty sure we're in verse 25 is where we're starting. We are. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, taking a look at a, a common parable. I want to say it might even be the most famous parable that Jesus shared. Pretty familiar with it if you've been in the church for any length of time, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, just reading through this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So a lawyer stands up to put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, can I pause there? We are always in trouble when we try to justify ourselves. But he, trying to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. I know I shared this when we were in Luke chapter 10, but every time I read that line, I can't help but think about Princess Bride. He's mostly dead. If you don't know that movie, get some culture. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we've been uh, working through a year-long series, Better Together, and now we're in this last section which deals with righteous justice. And, and, and the message that we started this last section with on Jesus and justice, we discovered we can participate in the justice of God by continuing the mission of Jesus. Because the mission of Jesus, when you look at Luke 4 and he reads the scroll from Isaiah, we find there's three important parts. Jesus proclaims good news. He shows compassion and he participates in justice advocacy. All three are acts of justice because we are all far from God until God impresses upon our heart and there are people who speak otherwise to help us understand we need to be near to God. So all three are important when it comes to the justice of Jesus. And now one of the issues related to justice advocacy as we consider those three things is the issue of refugees. There are over 25 million refugees living displaced in our world today. That's a lot of people. And the question we want to answer as we consider this important topic is, why is it important for followers of Jesus to love foreigners? Why is that important? And again, I already shared, it's likely you understand we should love all people, but, but why? Why is it important that we love the stranger? Well, one of the, the reasons, and I'd probably say the main one, is because God loves and rescues refugees. That's what he does. 
So by, if that's God's nature, we made in his image should follow in that same right. It's important we love refugees first and foremost because God does. It's the most important reason. Reading from Deuteronomy chapter 10, here's what the author writes. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, God says. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So this is God speaking to the Israelites here. Now what we won't find in scripture is the term refugee, but what we do find is the word stranger, sojourner, and foreigner. Now today we use the terms displaced persons, refugees, migrants, immigrants, and, and other phrases. But regardless of what term we use to classify a person, we find all throughout scripture that God loves the foreigner. He loves the sojourner. From Genesis to Revelation, it's there. We read from, we read from Psalm 146 this morning where the psalmist writes, the Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. And we see that God does this for the people of Israel. Consider this. This is what God does for Israel. He rescued them from the land of Egypt. This is what God's referring to in, in Deuteronomy. That the people of Israel, they were sojourners in the land of Egypt. They were being oppressed and God came, loved them, and rescued them. That's what God does. So this is why then God instructs them, the people of Israel, to do for others what God has done for them. To love the sojourner, because God showed love to Israel when they were sojourners. So it's important we love refugees, because God loves and rescues refugees. But then we also find throughout scripture that God expects us to love and care for refugees. It's an expectation he has. Again, always goes back to because God has, so should we. So that's why he expects us. Over and over again throughout scripture, God instructs his people to take care of the sojourner, the foreigner in their midst. So I wanna share some of those scriptures with you. Exodus chapter 22. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. God keeps reminding Israel of this. So again, he keeps telling Israel, because Israel of what I have done for you, so you should do for others. We find in Leviticus chapter 19, God declares, do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And why are we not to take advantage of foreigners in our midst? Consider the root of it. It always goes back to Genesis chapter one. We've talked about this with Jesus and justice because we are all, everyone created in the image of God. All of us. This is what we find recorded in Numbers chapter 15. Native born Israelites and foreigners are equal before the Lord. That's a really strong verse. Really strong. Turns out there are no privileged children before God. There's just children. That's it. Deuteronomy chapter one records, at that time I instructed the judges, you must hear the cases of your fellow Israelites and the foreigners living among you. Be perfectly fair in your decisions and impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of those who are poor as well as those who are rich. 
So here's what we need to understand as we're looking at these particular verses in the Old Testament. The nation of Israel is forming. And so God is instructing the Israelites how they're to treat the foreigners that are living among them. And what does he say? Be perfectly fair. Be impartial in your judgments. Hear the cases of everyone. So while Israel is forming as a nation, this nation that's going to be a light to the nations, to the world, doesn't it make sense that he would say, take care of the foreigners in your midst? Because their purpose is to be a light to all nations. Deuteronomy chapter 24, and never take advantage of poor and destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. You must pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and they're counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you and it would be counted against you as sin. Yee. All right, I'll just let you sit in that one. Job making a defense before God and his supposed friends. So here's what Job is saying to God and his friends. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. So Job showed he was living for God in the way that he took care of foreigners. That's what it's saying. The way that he took care of strangers showed God and his friends, I'm living for God. Even to the point of he would come against those who were oppressing them. Prophet Jeremiah, speaking on behalf of the Lord, he instructs the Israelites, I will be merciful only if you stop your evil thoughts and deeds and start treating each other with justice, only if you stop exploiting foreigners, orphans, and widows. You look at the rest of the prophets, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, all speak words of judgment against Israel for their mistreatment of foreigners. They all do this. Now, I wanted to focus on the Old Testament because it does create a foundation. God is God, Old Testament and new, same God. And so now let's take a look at New Testament too. They all have something to say as it relates to foreigners and strangers. Uh, I shared in the message on Jesus and compassion from Matthew chapter five where Jesus says, for I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. And he says, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me, Jesus says. So this is the words of Jesus now. So from the passage we read this morning, Luke chapter 10, let's talk about that for a moment. Jesus reveals we're to take care of people in need, regardless of nationality, religious affiliation, or race. Uh, One of the reasons, the priest, let's take a look at this parable, we've already read it. One of the reasons he did not stop to help the man who was on the roadside is because he was not sure, is this man a law-abiding Jew or is he a Gentile? Remember, the man has been stripped naked, he's unconscious, so neither by clothing or speech can this man determine what kind of race he is. Take that even further, because Jesus says a man went down. He didn't even say what kind of man, because that wasn't the point. But now for the priest, if the man's a Jew, the priest is obligated to help. But if he's not, according to Judaism at the time, at the time of first century, he was not obligated. So now the priest, not wanting to defile himself, the priest and Levite both, they pass the man by. You know, and the fun thing about this parable is there's this progression of priest to Levite to now what should be next is basically the average Jew of the day. 
So kind of put that in our terminology. The pastor passed him by. The deacon passed him by. So now in the hearers of the day, they're thinking the congregant is the hero of the story. Only in typical Jesus-like fashion, the congregant, the Jew of the day, was not the hero of the story. Who was the hero? Samaritan. And Jews did like Samaritans. Different race, different religion. And so Jesus surprises him. So now, if we were to read this story in our day, maybe it would sound like this. A man was going down from Lafayette to Indianapolis. He fell among thieves who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead and unrecognizable as an American. Now, by chance, a pastor was traveling down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a deacon, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why? Because his pastor did. So it's all right, deacons, you're just following your pastor's lead. But a hard-line Muslim, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, applying ointment and bandages. Then he set him in his SUV and brought him to a hotel and took care of him. And the next day he took out $2,000 and gave him to the manager saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Jesus purposely states a man, not designating anything about him because it didn't matter what kind of man he was. It simply mattered that he was a man. That's it. And any man, woman, or child in need of help is worthy of our help. That's what Jesus is saying. And if we don't help, here's what Jesus is saying. God will use others, even those we would consider unworthy of helping others to meet the needs of others. If you don't do it, God says, I'll get somebody else to But shame on us if we allow others to do the work of God that he expects us to do in helping others. And why would God want us to do that? Because God wants to say, because I've done for you, I want you to do to others. And as you do for others, it will shine a light to me so that they can know me too. That's why he wants us to do it. Jesus taught us to love our neighbors, all of them, near and far. In the early church, they also understood our need to take care of others not like us. They understood the work Jesus came to do included reconciling nations to himself. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that existed between people of different races and nations. The writer of Hebrews, he instructs us, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. It's understood that the the writer of of Hebrews, what he's referencing here, is uh, Abraham when he hosts three guests. Genesis chapter 18. Two of those were angels, one of those was Yahweh. They were on their way to judge Sodom, but Abraham hosts these strangers. They happen to be angels in Yahweh himself. So not only are we helping Jesus when we host strangers, as Matthew 25 would state, turns out we might be entertaining angels when we display hospitality toward others in need. And I understand this can be a stretch for some of you this morning, but let me say this, I'm not saying it, scripture is, so you can kind of wrestle with that. 
But even if that's difficult for you this morning, I want you to consider this. When you host strangers or foreigners, what you will find is they might just prove to be a messenger of God that brings you a greater blessing than they could ever receive from you. It's the truth. I can't tell you how many people Shelly and I have hosted in our home who are far greater blessing to us than we could have ever hoped to be for them. It's just what happens. So here's the question. How are you taking care or showing hospitality to strangers or foreigners in our town? How are you doing it? Uh, There's a, a great program at Purdue, International Friendship Program. I know a lot of you are involved with that. So I will say this, like it is easy in our town to do this. You just have to say yes. That's really it. You can go online and search for International Friendship Program. You can host internationals. We had a student from Iran in our home a couple of weeks ago. It's an opportunity. I know a lot of you do this already, but if you're not, there's a way to do it. But I would actually say this. You don't even need a program to do this. It is likely in your neighborhoods, your workplace, or the market where you shop, there's foreigners and strangers there. So what are you doing to show them hospitality? What are you doing to display the love of God to them? That's what Jesus would ask us this morning. And this matters because God expects us to love and take care of foreigners. He just does. And the interesting thing is this. I was considering this as our last point this morning. We are all refugees. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a refugee. I don't know if you realize that. We are all sojourners, foreigners in this land. All of us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for the return of our Savior. Jesus made himself a displaced person when he left heaven and came to earth. You ever considered that? Our king was a sojourner. We, in many regards, live in a refugee kingdom. And because of this, Peter, a follower of Jesus, he encourages us, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Wages war. As as followers of Jesus, we belong to the kingdom of God. It's like we know this, but I think sometimes we don't always live that out. We are foreigners in this world because we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. Paul writes in Ephesians, now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So I want to say this, don't let that discourage you this morning, that we are all sojourners because we are all sojourners because we're a part of God's family. That's a lot better kingdom to live in because his kingdom's eternal. And it is this understanding that this world is not our home that should ultimately affect how we treat strangers and foreigners. It really should. Because when we understand this city, this state, this country, it's ultimately not our home. We can then live more open-handedly with all that we have, understanding the whole world is his. The whole world is God's. It's important we understand we're not just stewards of our personal financial resources and material possessions. We're also stewards of the places in which we live. I wonder if we sometimes hesitate to take care of strangers and foreigners because of a sense of self-preservation or national identity. I wonder if that holds us back sometimes. As I was putting this message together, it made me wonder if maybe, just maybe, that's what God is ultimately after. Maybe God wants us taking care of foreigners, not only for their sakes, but also for ours. Because it helps us to let go of this world in which we live. It really does. When we love and care for foreigners, 
our kingdom identity can actually begin to become greater than our national identity. It really does. And this is important because if our national identity is stronger than our kingdom identity, which is otherwise our natural default, it just is and that's okay. But here's the thing, if our national identity is stronger than our kingdom identity, it can actually negatively impact how we live for the kingdom of God. It really can. Now I wanna say this, do we live in a great nation? Absolutely. Does it have faults? Of course, every nation falls short on some level. But that doesn't mean we don't live in a wonderful country. We do, full of freedom and opportunity on a greater level than most any other nation in the world today. How many are thankful for the country in which we live? Man, are we thankful for it. Shelly and I are so thankful that as we travel, we have a blue passport that provides us open doors to most of the world. That's not the case for most people, but we have that opportunity. But at the same time, there's a difference between being thankful for the nation in which we live and having a mindset more tied to nationalism. There's a difference. Being thankful for our nation means we can also be thankful for others when they receive and experience blessings from this nation. But if we have nationalism supporting our own interests to the exclusion of others, that becomes a problem for the kingdom of God, right? Are you understanding the difference this morning? There's a big difference. It's important we realize we are citizens of God's kingdom before we're citizens of the United States of America. The early church understood this. They understand, they understood, I'm citizens in God's kingdom before I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire. But I also wanna say this, I think sometimes because we know we live in a great nation, because we have so many churches in our cities, because we send so many missionaries to the nations, I do think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking America is synonymous with the kingdom of God. We do, but we need to understand there's a difference there. America is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God. That's it. Our kingdom as followers of Jesus, we know this. It's not of this world. Because good citizens in God's kingdom, I will say this, if we're a good citizen in God's kingdom, we are incredible citizens in every nation in which we live. We are. Because good citizens in God's kingdom, they respect authority, they love their neighbors, they even love their enemies. Those are good citizens, right? So it is interesting, as we live well in God's kingdom, we live well in other nations too. But it is important we make kingdom living a priority over any national interest we might have. Are you still with me this morning? A good litmus test, I want us to consider this this morning, to see in which kingdom you have stronger allegiance, it can actually be revealed in our mindset toward refugees. And here's what I mean by that. If foreigners living in our midst or coming into our country creates tension in your life or bothers you, it's likely you've pledged greater allegiance to the United States of America than to the everlasting kingdom of God. It's just a litmus test for us. And here's why. Because anyone truly devoted to the advancement of God's kingdom in this world, they understand it's an incredible, and I mean incredible opportunity that God sends people to us. He sends them to us from nations that have no gospel witness. Why? Because he expects the church is gonna witness. But if we don't approach it with the right mindset, we miss that opportunity. This is why this is so important this morning. But not only does God send us people who have no gospel witness, he sends us people who are on fire for God. He does. 
Every day, I don't know if you're aware of this, 2,500 immigrants legally entry, uh, enter our country. That's a lot of people. Some of those from countries that don't know God, some of those from countries on fire for God. Do you want to know the fastest growing church or segment of our population today? Latinos. Latinos are growing and evangelical churches faster than any other category of people in our country today. They're growing. In fact, they're actually causing churches to experience revival. Why? Because studies have shown Latinos oftentimes go to church more, read their Bible more, pray more than their Anglo counterparts. So they come into a church and they light it on fire. So I say, come, light us on fire. Lord, help us. Dr. Joseph Castleberry, he's a president of Northwest University in, in Seattle, Washington. He was actually my, my missions professor at Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And he wrote a book, it was really interesting, The New Pilgrims, How Immigrants Are Renewing America's Faith and Values. That's an interesting read. And here's what he said. He said, in the midst of an apparent religious decline in the US, many Americans are looking for solutions to this dilemma. Our hope, here's what Joseph Castleberry writes, our hope lies with Christian immigrants who bring to our churches powerful testimonies of faith from cultures all over the world. I wanna tell you right now, we've got Afghan refugees coming into our country, some of them from underground churches, and they're gonna come sharing stories that cause us to say, man, I need to be where they're at, right? And so here's what he says, as they settle into their lives here, they're taking the American church by storm, helping it rebuild. It's time to acknowledge the exciting time of spiritual renewal and embrace the opportunity we have to once again establish the church in America as the shining city on a hill we all want it to be. So here's what I'm saying this morning. Whether foreigners are coming who need access to Jesus or foreigners are coming who are more on fire for Jesus than we are, we should welcome them with open arms because God loves them, he expects us to love them, and in their arrival, the kingdom of God is coming into their lives and into ours. That's the whole point this morning. And I would say this, if you're concerned about the future of our nation or our kids and grandkids and future opportunities, what we should want most for the future of our nation and our kids' futures is God sets our country on fire. Through his church. Now, fire, not in the literal sense. Sets our country on fire in a spiritual sense, right? We should want that more than anything else for our kids and grandkids. And if God's intention is to do that through immigration or by way of of bringing us foreigners who become devoted to God, then God have your way. God have your way. Because God is the only one who can take care of our future. He is the only one that can do that. So we need to stop trying to control the outcomes. It doesn't work. So we're just going to get frustrated in the middle of it. So instead, let's simply do what God does, meet his expectations, and one of those is taking care of foreigners in our midst. We were actually contacted this week by one of our church members who's uh, down uh, helping at Camp Atterbury. They're receiving Afghan refugees. So one of the ways, if you'd like to help, is you can drop off some clothes donations here, and he's going to come and pick them up and bring them down. Very simple way to bless those coming into our country. What he said, so I'm going to give you specifics in case you're interested in doing that. He said, it's mostly men that are needing clothes, pants, and shoes. And he said, they're not big like Americans. So shop accordingly. <laughs> In a very simple way. So we can take donations up till Friday, October 1st, and then he's going to come and take those all down there. So it's an easy way to help. So whether you're able to help with this need or not, what's important is we find ways to love and take care of the foreigners in our midst. 
because God does it and he expects us to do it too. As we've been moving through this series, I was actually thinking about the fact, you know, we presented a number of ways that you can help share the story of Jesus, that you can help proclaim good news. You know, you can join others through prayer walking in the greater Lafayette area. You can join others doing Bible studies in the community corrections building. You can serve our community through our food pantry. Uh, We just talked about clothing donations for Afghan refugees. But what I want to make clear this morning is no one person or family is meant to do it all. We're not. No one person can do all that. But everyone can do something. That's what's important this morning. So as we present opportunities, we just want to make sure that there's an opportunity for everyone to respond to. But no one can respond to it all, but everyone should respond to something. Our heart in all of this is that you simply find your place. If God wants you helping with the Matrix Life Care Center, do that. If God wants you serving a meal at Lafayette Urban Ministry, do that. If God wants you serving on guest services or on our music team, then do that. However God has equipped you, kind of the question to ask is, who are your people and what is your passion? And follow that. What does God want you to do? Because there is no one that can replace you in the kingdom of God. I can't do what everyone in this room can do. Just as no one can do what I'm doing. And some of you are like, praise God, I wouldn't want to preach that stuff to save my life, you know? And that's okay. That's not what God has called you to. But whatever God has put on your heart, that's what you should do. And if you're uncertain as to what that is or how you can follow that, please ask. Man, there are so many wonderful places and ways that you can serve the kingdom of God, either in this church or outside of this church. So my encouragement this morning in all of this is find your place. Find your place, whatever that is. It's incredibly important because no one else can do what God has equipped you to do. He's given you gifts to use. And I would just say, I want you to use them. And think about this. Imagine what a collective difference we could make in our community if we would just respond to what God's put in our hearts to do. That's why we're better together. Because together, we get these things done. Together, we see our community have a gospel witness. All of us together could see God do incredible things. Marriage is restored. God has gifted some of you for that purpose. Unborn babies being saved. Afghan refugees be taken care of. All of these things can be done as we collectively work together and respond to what God's put in our heart to do. As we respond, our area is transformed by the gospel. So let's do it. Let's do it this week and let's do it together. I invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. The music team's gonna come. But maybe you're here this morning. We've talked about our opportunities as followers of Jesus to be able to find our place and serve him and enter in. But maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. And that's the starting point. Jesus has gifts for you, spiritual gifts for you. But to receive those gifts, you first have to receive Jesus. Let me tell you, you need Jesus in your life. If you're online this morning, you need Jesus in your life. And so there's an opportunity today to say, I want to respond to Jesus today. So if that's you and you'd say, you know what? I got to start there. I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I need to be. With every head bowed in this room, I just want to create a space for you to respond. If you'd say, that's me. I need to make a decision to follow Jesus because I need what he has. So let me tell you right now, I can't give you anything, but God can give you everything. That's what I want you to have this morning. So who here today would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. I want to receive the gifts that he has for me. Just simply raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave this morning. Who here today would say, that's me? That's me. If you're online this morning and God is breaking your heart that way, just respond in the the chat section there. There's a 
place you can go online to select and say, I, I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. The reason we ask you to respond is because journeying with Jesus is a collective thing to do. Yes, you can make that decision alone, but you're meant to journey with Jesus with others. And so we just want to help facilitate that with you this morning. God, I just pray for each and every one in this room today. Lord, you have given them gifts to use in your kingdom. You have given them gifts for influence in this world. And so God, I pray that they would pursue those gifts, pursue that influence. More than any other influence they might perceive they have in this world, all the influence that really matters is how you have gifted them. So God, I pray they pursue that today. Pray that they find that influence that you have for them amongst refugees, amongst orphans, amongst widows. Father, amongst those affected by poverty or experiencing homelessness. God, amongst those who are the foreigners in our midst. God, I, I know that you've given so many gifts to this body. And I pray that they would, first of all, identify those gifts, and then secondly, activate those gifts. May they find a place of service in your kingdom. Lord, for those that are here today that maybe have not made that decision to follow you, I pray, Jesus, that you would continue to compel them to make that decision this morning. That even after we close in song here today, that they would come up to say, you know what? I didn't pray with you in that moment, but I want to make that decision before I leave from this place. God, touch hearts today. Transform minds, Jesus. And Lord, we just trust you for that great and mighty work, that which only you can do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.